Good morning once again, and welcome to our English Sunday service. So, as you know, we're entering a season of Advent, and we finally arrive December. And usually, when you go to different um, different、uh, different kind of supermarkets or 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 some、uh, chain drugstores,、uh, you'll realize that. They start selling these Advent calendars, and it's getting to really crazy nowadays. Where it's not just selling chocolate that you can open every day, but now they start selling toys that are Advent calendars. Where where there's this famous brick building company whose name I I, I can't mention start selling these figures、um, each day, and even. For adults, they have adult advent calendars where they sell whiskey in a giant box. Where every day you have a tiny bottle of whiskey that you can open and celebrate Advent. So, so why am I talking about this? So,、um, as you see on the slide on top, so in any logical normal person, you would count one to six in an order. And so, one time I was. Um, talking to a friend, and he was showing me this advent calendar that that he had, and and somehow it was one of the most terrible designs that they could make for an advent calendar, where it would start with one, and then two, but then it would jump to five, and it would be back to three, and it's not because it's not because they intentionally make it that way, but rather because they they arrange in the design that is not linear. Across, but they're trying to go like in circles and whatever, and it's just very confusing. And so sometimes we might have a job that we have to do, and we only have one job that they can't even do that one job really well. So it's really frustrating, right? But today, as we look into the passage of Isaiah, we realize that in our own walk in faith. We also only have just one job that God has called us to do, but often we don't even do that one job really well. But then, what does that mean, and how does that affect our lives as Christians today? So let's take one step back, and I want to do an exercise for you guys. So, what you need is you need to have something to write with. Either take out a pencil in front of your pew, or Or if you have a pen, you can pull a pen, and you can either use the bulletin、um, in the inside of the bulletin. There should be some space available、uh, below the passage. And so, what I want you to do is, you see the word December twenty second. I want to spend you to spend fifteen、uh, to twenty seconds. Write down or draw everything that comes to your mind on your first impression when you see the word December twenty second. I mean twenty six. Sorry, December twenty. Okay, now now let's spend about thirty to forty-five seconds just talking to your neighbors next to you and share what what you got out of this mini exercise that you have.
हैं ओके सो हाउ मेनी पीपल हियर हैव बॉक्सिंग डे इन द आंसर्स बी ऑनेस्ट रेस योर हैंड यू पुट बॉक्सिंग डे इन द आंसर इट सीम्स टू क्लस्टर इन द मिडल कैन ऑफ रीजन बैक हियर नॉट एज मच हाउ मेनी पीपल सेट इज अ स्लीप इन और कैन ऑफ हैंग ओवर रिकवरी डे और ओके ओके सम देयर so how many people that is something related to the day after christmas oh we have a few too okay nice so keep those answers we'll go back to them later so as you realize that fox boxing day has become a big culture and now it has evolved even to that your boxing week cuz they want to make the most of their business during this time of celebration and festivities and so we live in a world where this idea of christmas is really big in our western civilization and it evolved to a way where it's no longer about this thing 2000 years ago where this girl who happened to be pregnant and then gave birth to this baby who is told to be the son of god that is all about what can i do to show my love to my family or my friends and to spoil them with celebration and gifts and feast and dinner and so we are really nowadays living in a very strong consumer culture around us and this is from uh an article about how nowadays we're getting to a stage in our society where consumerism is so big in our lives but even though we consume a lot we buy a lot of things we take up a lot of things and we hoard a lot of things we realize there's something missing in in our spiritual life there's something missing in our psychological well-being that getting these things might be something that is gratifying in the first few moments but as you go by the next day or the next week this feeling would be gone and you leave yourself with this hollowed feeling of what have i just been doing the past week or days celebrating about this thing that is so empty and sometimes you might think well this is just something to those millennial kids and something that only these young people are 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 suffering from that as an older adult we are more self control and we're all um contained in having uh a better understanding of what christmas is about but i talked to my mom a lot and there was also a period that when i talked to her there's this image that haunts me for my whole year and i would try to avoid any conversations with her because of this and this is the image that i see all the time so it's not just about consuming monetary things sometimes it's about consuming content and for those who don't know this is a screenshot from a game called Candy Crush and how it works is if you play this game you know that you have only a number of lives you can play and after you consume all these number of lives you have to wait a period before you can start playing again but a way to get around it is to send these um links to friends to click on it 
uh, it's kind of like a mini ad to kind of entice them to play with you. And in the in the in a in a exchange, they will send you live so you can keep playing this game. And so what happened was, my mom would keep bugging me to send her lives, and that's not enough too. She's like, "Can you open more accounts for me so that you can send more lives and I can keep playing this game? Because I don't want to pay for it." I'm like, "Okay." So some adults are also consuming things and. They might not even realize that as well. And so, why are we talking about this when the message is about Isaiah today? If you look into the whole background as to why Isaiah was prophesying to the people of Israel, you realize that this comes at a time when Israel is no longer a sovereign nation. They lost their land. They lost their country. To foreigners, and they're now in exile, trying to think back. What have we done? What is it that caused us to lose all this blessing that we're supposed to have? Because to them, the land equals blessing. And if the land is taken away, it's almost a symbol to them that God's blessing is taken away from them. And as they look back, Isaiah is trying to relay God's message to them, and he's trying to remind these people of the things that they have done, that have fallen away from what God had intended them. That one job that God has always appointed them to do. And so, to really understand this passage today in chapter sixty, we need to first. Get an understanding of what the concept of light means in the Jewish culture. So the word light or or in in Hebrew, it's a word that recurs over and over in the Old Testament. If you read from the beginning in Genesis one, it already started off with um, the passage saying that God has created light out of nothingness, and then as They continue on with the whole story of Israel. There's a lot of imagery being portrayed about the idea of light, the idea of pursuing the light, and even in the wisdom literature, it talks a lot about our faith, our walk to follow God, to fear God, is grounded on chasing and pursuing this light that is given to us. But in the same time, one major imagery that Um, the Bible uses is from the idea that the sun is the provider of light into the world. The sun provides light to the world, and so the reason why they use this imagery because the sun is something that is reliable in the ancient Near East culture. You go to sleep, and then you wake up, and the first thing you see is sunlight shining from the sky. And because of the sunlight, they're able to do all these activities. And being an agricultural nation, they need that light for growing crops to see what's in front of them and to provide safety to them. And so, to them, the concept of light is something kind of like God's wisdom, God's power, God's provision to the nations. But sadly, as time goes, you you realize that 
technology advanced as we progress in society, and the idea of lamps and even electricity do get uh, get developed. And so, from all the way back to ancient Near East with the invention of lamps to nowadays we have LED lights that we become a city that no longer rely solely on the sun's the sun's light to to function as a as a community, but rather we are going into a society that never sleeps, that we rely on this technology, and even in some cities, you you know that they they're even being called the city that never sleeps. That throughout 24 hours, there are things going on, there are lights being lit up, and people are just doing different things in this world, and and as a result, you realize that a lot of times. We only see this light as something that we master over. We see this light as um, the physical being, but we forget that the whole point of seeing the sun, the whole point of seeing these lights, these imagery, is because there is a maker behind the source of light that we're able to have. That the whole point of seeing light is not about the light itself, but to see the maker behind it. And so, as we go into a world that no longer relies on this natural light, as we go into a world that relies on our own ingenuity, our own pride in invention and mastery over the universe, we end up doing something that uh, is, simil- is very uh, popular nowadays, a term that we use a lot. And for a lot of people into political science, they probably have heard of this idea of gaslighting a lot. And, and this word came originally from a play in the early 1900s about um, a story about a guy who was being manipulative of his wife that he would use the idea of um, switching on the gas light and then turning it off to to mess with this wife's mind in order to control her, to to bend her will to whatever he wants to do. And from that play, the idea of gaslighting got invented, that especially in the political arena, if you know, if you have been following the recent politics of the world, you know that there's a lot of gaslighting that's happening in in politics, where a leader would say some facts that are what we call fake news, and then they would be challenged by the public. They would say that, oh, you said that this is what is going to happen, or this is not true. But then the reporters would do some fact-checking, and then they would come back and be like, we did some fact-checking, and I think you're wrong. And then the, the leader or the political person would, would, would try to brush it off and say, that's not true, that's not what I said. Or if they get into a corner, realize that they can't back out, all they would say is, I was just joking. I didn't say anything truthful about it. I was just making a joke about that issue. And so... There's a lot of distorting of the truth going on in, even in today's world. So how does that have to do with the idea of light? 
How does that have to do with Israel's light? If you realize, um, in our today's society, we celebrate Christmas as a whole culture, whether you're Christians or not. And a lot of time, we engage the world trying to share the idea of Christmas as Jesus coming into the world as the light of the world. But as we're doing that, we try to use ways that would attract the rest of the society when they're not into the whole idea of Christian faith or religion. We try to package it in a way that would attract them. You realize that a lot of churches nowadays do a lot of musicals. They do a lot of plays or different flashy events to attract people into coming to the church. Or they would package the whole concept of Christmas subconsciously, kind of like subliminal marketing, to, to package in a way where it's socially acceptable with a hidden message behind it. And initially, there's nothing wrong with doing things like that, as their intention is to bring the gospel across. But over time, as success grew, as they get more efficient and better at doing this, they would evolve in a way where they would no longer remember why they're doing this whole thing in the first place. And their preoccupation becomes trying to polish up this play, sing the song really well, and try to make this program really attractive and fun and entertaining so that people would come inside the church. And as a result, the attention is no longer on the whole idea of Christmas, but the whole celebration in some place to extremes where it's all about celebration of happiness, celebration of consuming this thing, and then you'll be happy, you'll experience this light of joy by consuming this product. Or, or even in, in, in the church that I was talking uh, with friends about, that there's a church in the States where they would talk about selling this Christmas celebration Christian package to people. And if you buy this package and bring it home, you'll have this amazing experience that is limited time offer. And if you don't buy this with this coupon code, you're going to miss out on once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and that's how much Christmas has evolved in some parts of our world. And so as a result, Pastor Sam preached last week about the idea how we as Christians should live a life that is like children of the light. But a lot of the times, when we try to be children of the light, if we lose sight of what the light is about, we might end up being children of gaslight. Instead of trying to reflect what Jesus' light light is, we end up trying to reflect on success and consumerism and the idea of just focusing our, our, ourselves and make ourselves happy, make ourselves um, joyful as, as all that there is about the purpose. And we ended up trying to, 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 to lead non-Christians, to lead other people in the world to pursue things that are not what God intended when he came into this world. We ended up distorting the reality 
that God has created, that we're no longer pursuing the goodness of God, but whether we're pursuing what we see as goodness in our own pride and desires. So, what is this one job that we're supposed to do? What is this light of the world that Isaiah has been so excited and raving about in this passage? So, if you look into the passage of today, it talks about the idea of light and its purpose is not just to shine the world and make it bright, but rather light is the medium that helps us see the glory of God. Light is a medium that helps us see the glory of God. And so when we talk about light of the world, it's not just the idea of a light that shines and a light that is from somewhere far away and is remote to us, but rather if you look at um, the Greek language light of the world, it can also be translated as light for the world. That there is a purpose of why the light comes into this world. And this purpose is to show the glory of God and to show us how to celebrate God in this glory. But now then we are stuck in a corner then. We always talk about this idea of glory. We talked about the concept of the glory of God. But it sounds like some abstract jargon that to glorify God, to bring honor to God, and to show glory to God. What exactly does that mean? Like I, would, I, can, I can always go walk up to the Elam kids, like talk to Gus, talk to Natalie, talk to Joanna, and be like, go glorify God. This is your job. And they'll be like, What? Like, are you serious? And like, do I need to consult Huey on this since he's knowledgeable in the Bible? And then we're like, we're stuck, right? Like, even as leaders, we sometimes are struggling with this concept of what glory is. And we don't know how to express that in our own language. So what exactly is glory? And I think... Um, a really good explanation of glory is, is through the idea of art and idea of beauty. And a lot of times we try to explain glory as holiness, but there are really distinct ideas that holiness is more about the separateness of God as the perfect being and that is immaculate and, and, and pure, that is not tainted by, by sin. But glory is something that's not about just the idea of purity and separateness. But rather, glory is to see the beauty of God. Glory is to see how God is good and God is great and gracious. And so a good illustration to explain this would be the idea of trying to do painting. And when you look at who God is, you'll be reminded of the different attributes of God. So when you try to describe God, you use terms like God is joy, God is peace, God is love, God is compassion, God is hope, and, and so on and so on, right? And so 
to see the glory of God is to see the goodness behind these things. To say God is glorious is to say that we see the joy that God shows to be something that's beautiful and good. To see the glory of God is like going to experience the love of God and to see that it is a good thing and a beautiful thing. And so when you go painting, when you go and draw things on a canvas, you have to use different colors to put these colors into shapes and designs and, and, and objects that look um, to something of beauty. And that's essentially what glorifying God is like, where the colors are like the different attributes of God that he has given us in this world. And we're given this canvas of creation that we're part of. And by painting this creation with the true beauty of joy, peace, compassion, love, hope, and all, and all, and all. We are trying to paint this world into a way of goodness and to use these things that God has given us to show his glory. That colors by themselves might look very dull, but we put them into use to shine into this world. It becomes something that is beautiful, that is unique, that is something that we cherish and see as good. And so, looking back into this passage, it talks about the idea of, um, in, in chapter 59, that there will be a redeemer that will come to Zion, and those who persevere and repented will be redeemed, and he will be with this group of people forever and ever. And as we talked about the context earlier, we talked about there's a group of people of Israel that has fallen away, and in the, in the end they were being judged, and they lost this land and blessing from God. But there's still a group of people who hold on to know that there is a true purpose in their lives, and they hold on to this light, and they try to continue to seek mercy and to seek glory of God. And as a result, when we go to chapter 60, you realize that God says that they will be used by God to shine onto the nations. And so there is the idea of judgment happening in the first half of this passage. But in the same time, there's also the idea of grace that is happening. There's a lot that this passage is alluding to, to the coming of Jesus on the idea of covenant faithfulness. That even though, as a whole nation, Israel has betrayed God and to pursue the gaslight of the world and to pursue things that are idols, they chase after the sun. If you look at chapter 60, the whole imagery might be better explained on the message version that is printed on your bulletin. That there's an imagery that when you wake up, there's a sun shining and casting light into the world. But instead of looking for the maker behind the sun, the people of Israel were only pursuing the sun and to worship the sun and to take the sun to harness the power for their own gain. Instead, they forget that the whole point of seeing this light is to appreciate the maker, to appreciate the Lord who rules over the sun. 
who provides the sun to them. And so, in the same time, God is faithful, even though they have fallen away from all these things. God continues to tell them that He will be with them as long as they stay true to be the bearer of this light to the world that He has, and that if they do the right job, nations will come because of the light we bear. And so this is the one job that God has always been telling us to do. Arise and shine. Arise out of darkness and shine for your light has come. And when we say arise and shine, this is not a light that we can generate ourselves. As you know, this light is a reflection from God. When the Son of God comes down to this world, it shines onto our own lives and this light becomes part of us. And as a result, as we go into this world to reflect this light to the world, the world will see and will come and be attracted because of this this light. And so, brothers and sisters, are we being the children of the lights? Or are we being the children of gaslight? As we come to celebrate the season of Christmas, what are the things that preoccupies us the most? Is it about getting ready to have a time to have a holiday and just take time off and, and, and relax? Is it just a time to go and go on a spurge and go shop till, till we are, we're, we're so sick of shopping anymore? Is it a time where it's all about consuming content? going to different concerts, going to different plays, going to different parties, and even we try to mask all these under the name of Christmas, under the name of doing this for the church, that we forget that it's not just about doing this for our own needs, but it's also a time to reflect on why we get to celebrate the whole idea of Christmas in the first place. Of course, these things by itself, it's neutral. There's nothing wrong to have time to have fellowship together. There's nothing wrong with extending a gesture of love and kindness through gifts and services. But if we are the children of light, there's something more behind us. As we go into the world doing these things, are we stopping in showing just this gift to our friends? Are we stopping at just celebrating this time with our friends? Or are we using this opportunity to reflect on the provider of joy behind this gift? Are we using this opportunity to share the appreciation of, of the gospel, the appreciation of the idea of, of salvation, the idea of hope behind the celebration that we're having? So now that we come back to the idea of December 26, what is it that we are celebrating? What is it that we are enjoying so much when we come to this time of December 26? 
And of course, this sounds like a rhetorical question, but this is something that even I struggle with where when we come to this time, we're so easily influenced by the culture around us that we forget that Christmas is not just one day. Christmas is a whole time that we continue to carry on as a church that God did not just incarnate or come to this world one day and then like, so long, uh, we celebrate Christmas, I'm going to go back and see you next year. But rather, it was the beginning of a long period that he endured to show us what this light is really about. So, what are we as a church? What is this one job that we're doing? And are we even doing this one job well together? Are we just trying to paint this beautiful, beautiful backdrop about Christmas? But we neglect the suffering of the world around us. Are we just trying to only see this goodness that is through our own pride, our own abilities, and our own enjoyment? But we forget that behind that, God really comes to this world to shine onto the darkness that is out there, that is in need for His hope and love and joy. But the good news is, this is not a message about judgment. This is not a message to criticize us about how little we're doing. This is not a message about how little we are, how inadequate we are in in what we're doing right now. But rather, the good news in Isaiah 60 is that the glory of Christ will be coming. And then eventually when Testament time came. The glory of Christ has come. And the glory of Christ will continue to be in this world and will be coming to its fullness when he returns into this world. And as we are trying to paint this canvas, as we're trying to build onto this creation to draw the beauty of God in the world around us. This is not something that is abstract anymore. That is not just some random idea that, that God has told us to do. But because Christ has come down to this world, that He has shown through His own hands, through His own mouths, how, is life, how is it is like to live, to celebrate this glory. How it is like to paint with the pictures of joy, the colors of compassion and the shapes of thanksgiving and hope and peace through his own stories and teachings and his sacrifices to this world. So as we reflect on this passage, we realize that even though it seems like there is judgment in this world, God is not just about partaking in glory. It's not about being a narcissist where come come show glory to me. Come 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 tell people and let them know how great I am. And it's not just all about himself, but rather he has made that choice to come into this world so that we can celebrate this glory, 
that there is goodness from celebrating this glory together with Him. And so, we have one job. We have one job as a community. If we lose sight of this one job to be the bearer of this glory of God, what are we as a church together? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you because you are the light in our world. Thank you for showing us how it's like to live in a life of glory, a life that is celebrating your glory. And as we continue to go out into the world, as we celebrate the season of Advent together, may you empower us to live a life that is able to show your goodness to the world that is in need of the goodness that you have. Thank you, and in Christ's name we pray.